Joining me now is our good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lampson. And, of course, Barb, I've been gone, so Gully's been with you the last couple of times because I have been up at the Landscape Arboretum in Chaska doing right. Master Garden Program. Yes, and we're so happy that you're going to join our ranks. And I know you do so much gardening now, so it's, for you it isn't that much of a, a change for you because you volunteer and you help people, and that's so great. You know, but it's funny how, you know, there's things you hear, you know, we're having these classes, and everything is scientifically based. So all these things we hear right. of, of people saying, well, my mom used to, you know, put an egg and she mixed this and then did that and then this worked really well. They said, you know, if those things work and you want to try them, go ahead. But if they're not scientifically based, we as Master Gardener can't recommend it. We can say, you can try it. Right. But so, so I mean, I'm learning all these different things that's and things right. that I thought were maybe truths that necessarily aren't truths. But that's a that's a fine line that you walk. And, you know, we always want to encourage people. Uh, uh, the soil and the conditions that you're growing things under are so different for each person. And so if something has always worked for them, good, you should do that then. Right. Um, it's, it's not really what soil science tells us to do, but if this and your condition, if this works, good for you. You know, that's, that's really great. And, you know, one of the first classes uh, we, we had was about soils because really everything goes back to the soil. That's right. And, I mean, you and I can, can have the same plant and you say yours is just beautiful and mine just looks terrible. Well, it's probably because of the soil, whether my soil doesn't have the right nutrients, whether it's compacted. I mean, all those things that I'm learning about. So I think, well, when people say, you know, oh, you're such a great gardener. Well, believe me, it has taken years to get my soil to that point because when I first started out, my yard didn't look very good either. I mean, right. I'm sure you you started at one point too, right? Yes, exactly. You know, our soil <clears throat> in the backyard where I have my big perennial bed, uh, we that was the children's playground. Their big swing set <laughs> and the sandbox and uh, all of the things that we were doing out there. So, and there were some really ugly, ugly wild roses. And if you got too close to them, you got scratched up. And I kept digging them out, and they kept coming back, <laughs> and I kept hauling in. And I was very lucky in that uh, my husband's family still had a farm, so I could get some really good soil out there. But I started uh, saving the leaves and composting right away. It was something that, that we'd always done. I don't know. I think farmers... Um, don't throw things away. So in the fall, when you raked up the leaves, they went to the edge of the woods. Right. They were piled there. If you took debris off from the garden, it went to the same place. And when that stuff started breaking down, you hauled it back in again. So that was really great. I wanted to talk about, just a minute, I wanted to mention, I'm always looking for the good news, people that uh, are doing the right thing for the environment and with their soil. And last week I read about um, uh, Walt Killian, or Killian, over at Adrian. Minnesota. Minnesota. had taken 130 of his acres out from uh, production. He has 1,000 acres, and he's put them into the federal crop program where he won't be raising crops on them uh, for right now anyway. The government pays him to set aside this land and so far he has planted 30,000 trees. You know we did Yay. that on our farm too where we I remember getting out there and planting 10,000 trees uh, on a, a place it was really kind of hilly so I mean it really needed something rather than than 
productive land because, you know, of the erosion and things like that. And that was one of the most fun things because Dad had the tractor, and then they, I don't know if we rented it or they loaned you this, this little tree planter, and you sit on the back and the little, you know, the, somebody drives a tractor and you sit there and you put plop a little seedling you know little seedlings are just single yes, stalks and, yes and you plop it in every you know i don't know if it's a couple feet or whatever i can't remember what it was back then but that is a really great thing and and now that woods from when i was a kid and planting it i mean right. it's a great awesome beautiful pine forest yes and you know what i just want to share with you two things uh when i was a 4-h leader and our kids were in 4-h um a farmer asked us if our 4-h club was interested in making some money if we'd come out and help plant trees Oh, neat and and we did that and that was a great fundraiser for us and kids all loved it and that was really really fantastic and uh, when my parents uh moved to a farm in Anoka County, up by Isanti, Minnesota, the soil was very, very soil, very, very sandy, mm-hmm. extremely sandy, and um, it, and the neighbor rented the the fields there and put in crops, and it was soybeans and it was corn, and my dad took it out of production, and my father through the conservation service would get these trees, and I have to say. All the trees and the reshaping of the landscape was totally changed by him. And when we go back there, we can't even see the house from the road anymore. And that used to be, along the highway, that used to be a crop that the soil would blow when the corn came out, when the soybeans came out. And I just think, what a tribute to my father for having done that. And and what an awareness thing. It also put in a, a water feature uh, for the deer and and he was he was just a huge huge gardener so lots of lots of good things you happening know, it's amazing what i mean a lot of times you think well i'm only one person what can i do well, i mean you could probably do it on a bigger scale like your dad and my and on our farm but even in your own yard you can make such a difference because i know a big thing we talked about at the master garden program is the importance of pollinators for our food and you know in your yard, you, if you just started planting a bunch of pollinators, yeah. I mean, that can make such a difference for the, the future of the, the pollinators' lives. It'll help us for the future of our food. That's right. It, it's choosing those plants. You know, we all want to see something that's green, and we love color. We have so much white in the wintertime. We just love all this color. Well, if we... Uh, think about it and if we take a look at native plants all of these different pollinators they they love to get the nectar from the plant as well as the pollen and you can have just a beautiful landscape using these native types of of uh, plants and you can also use things like we've forgotten that uh, uh, like Ectonacea, that that that's a native plant, but now we have that in different colors and things. We have it in oranges. We have that whole Cheyenne series. So, you're are not, those also called coneflowers? Yes, they're the coneflowers. Because I think a lot of people recognize them as a, yep, the, the yep, coneflower, yep, right? Yep, that's right. And simple things like like zinnias. Well, that and those are easy to grow because I can even grow them without killing right. them. Bees love By them. Seeds, yes. Yeah. So there's so there's lots of things like that we can do. Also, I'm excited about the schools. And, and the grants and the things that they're doing so that they can do these environmental classrooms outside. And I read in the paper here a few weeks ago that Franklin School received a grant from um, Centerpoint Energy and the Tree Trust. They've been given $12,000, and they are going to plant trees. They're in the beginning stages of it yet, 
but they said at least each class, each grade, will plant one tree. They'd love to have benches and things, mm-hmm. too. But the parents, along with the school and the kids, they're planning what they're going to do. So we're going to keep our eye next spring on Franklin, and maybe we can talk to some of those kids and find out about how, how they did it and if they enjoyed it and if they would plant trees. Introducing children to growing things when they're young is just so incredibly important. Well, in Rosa Parks, you know, that is a, one of the newest schools, elementary yes. schools, and they had tree planting, and we went to that. So my boys have actually helped plant some of those trees that are out around the ballparks out there, and it's so cool because they go back and they'll say, you know, because one of them still goes to Rosa Parks, by the way, but um, whenever we go back there, they'll go, hey, that's my tree, that's my tree. And just, it is it is such a neat thing because they feel like this this type of ownership to them and, and a pr- sense of pride. So, I mean, that is a great thing, and I know that more schools are doing that. In right. fact, that a lot of the master gardeners, there's 230 in the class I'm with, are, are working with schools to establish programs like that where they involve kids. You know, one of the things that I like to do is I like to commemorate uh, occasions in the family when someone got married, whether it's a niece or a nephew, or maybe even uh, if you have neighbor children that come over, our neighbor, Devin, uh, was born just uh, a few months after our first granddaughter, and I planted a tree for each one of them. And it's really interesting when Devin comes over to show her son her tree. That's her tree. And it really is. And the same thing with my granddaughter. That's her tree. And our good friend Harvey Hess, uh, he ha- has a little great-grandson, and this summer, uh, his granddaughter came out and they planted a tree uh, to honor this great-grandson. So people are doing that. I think that I think that's just absolutely wonderful. Now there's something else that you can do with your children and that's you can expose them to uh, uh, plants that are growing in greenhouses. And one of my favorite places to go, my family f- favorite places to go is Como Park. Oh, beautiful, beautiful place. Oh, it's, it's lovely in the winter. It's lovely in the summer. This weekend, uh, uh, the Winter Carnival is going on, and is also always what happens during the Winter Carnival. We have the Minnesota State Orchid Society show up there. This is such an important show because... You and I and the public, we get a chance to see orchids that we would never see in a nursery or never see in a store. These are collectors. Some of these collectors have as many as a thousand plants. And some of them probably are more than a thousand dollars each. But, you know, when you've got a collector, it's like, you know, buying a special cat or something, you know, you could be. So, so, I mean, you could be looking at some pretty valuable plants. And you know what's so great about this at the Como Park? You can go, you can see the show, and they also have bulbs that are planted that are just really beautiful. They they take the orchids that they're they're raising at Como Park, and they intersperse them in their tropical gardens with the trees in that. So they'll have them growing on the palms in that. And your children can see how these trees, uh, which we call um, uh, uh, terrestrials if they grow in the ground and they have some of those and um, um, epiphytes if they grow on the trees Mm -hmm. and they're feeding on the bark and that so they can see the difference between these plants. The other thing that I love about this They also have growers there 
who sell plants and, and answer questions and answer questions and and they're very honest about you know uh, my first question is oh this plant looks so beautiful today how many more times is it going to bloom this this year because yes. I love blooms I oh yeah I, if you're going to have one I figure why have it right it's not going to bloom and then my next question is how often do I have to repot this and what's the best way to repot this and probably the biggest question you want to ask and know probably why more plants fail is if you don't have enough light Yes. That is a huge one because, you know, a lot of people may have a big sunroom or they have special growing lights. And, I mean, I have killed or, or may, had many plants fail to thrive because of the lightish situation. Yes. it's And so for the plant to complete photosynthesis, which is it's making the sugars and things, it needs the light. The light is the energy that keeps the factory going. And then it needs water. And you learned something at Master Gardeners this week that I didn't know before when you were saying, uh, what is the reason why the leaves on a plant will get brown at the tips? Right. You know, a lot of times when you see browning, people immediately think, oh, it must need more water. Well, you can overwater too, and then the plant's uh, leaves will start to yellow. But yeah, this is something I learned I didn't know because sometimes you'll have, uh, in this case, I've got that ponytail palm, and uh, it's got, just on the very tips, they've got little brown. And I said, well, what in the world, you know, and I know I've watered it because if you overwater it, you're going to kill this one. Well, apparently, you know, when you water, that water has things like chlorine and fluorine, which are salts. That's right. And so when the plant takes those up, it basically takes it in its system, and those salts burn because it goes to the tips. So that's, that's like a salt burn. So what can you do to prevent that? Well, you can get distilled water, right. which is kind of expensive. Use rainwater. Yes. Or you could um, let your pitcher of water sit out to let the chlorine evaporate, which I do for my fish tank because right. fish don't like chlorine. Um, otherwise, I think some people have water purifiers maybe that can do that. But, like, you don't want softened water because that's going to have salts and things in it. Right. So, right. so yeah, so that's a, that's just a little clue that I didn't know before. And I th- I always thought, well, I'm, I must be watering this wrong. Well, it's, yeah, kind of because I'm including water with the, the night or the... Um, Fluorine and chlorine in it. And it's so important when you water also to have the water at room temperature. Oh, yes, and that's something I never used to do. It's such a shocking thing. I have a tea (laughs) kettle on my stove, and I also have a five gallon bucket that I fill with water and keep that in the basement. And as as I empty it out, I add more in. So you've got this thing going for you. If you're going to garden seriously and you really love your plants and you want them to show at their best, you really do have to. Get prepared for the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there are easier plants, and then, you know, there are some plants you just say they're throwaway plants, so maybe you don't, if you really don't want to worry about it that much, maybe you you just need to get one of those. You know, I have some cyclamen plants, which I love, which is... They're uh, pretty flowers. They, they, But I've had them now for several years, and sometimes they start looking straggly, mm-hmm. and, and you'll see at the center there's a bulb that they're emerging from. I just take off all the leaves and start them again. Okay. It's like if something needed a severe ha- uh, haircut, you can do that. And it, But not with all plants. Not with all plants. Yes. That's where you could kill them. But 
If you have a plant and it's looking really nasty, maybe that's what you need to do. The other thing is I brought with me, because I'm such a visual person. Now, And I want to go back to bulbs, because we did get a question from a listener. So Ooh, go, go ahead. Keep. I have a piece of plexiglass with me. Yes. And when it's so cold in the wintertime, we don't want to get our plants too close to the windows. You don't want drafts. Right. And I have triple glazed windows, and I'm still very... You still get some y- cool air. Yeah. gets So... I have sheets of plexiglass that I put in front of the plant, and there's a little bit of a barrier between that and the window. So it just gives a little more insulation. Yes, yes, it absolutely does. And, of course, at night I always put down the shades, and you never would pull curtains on the plants. You don't have the plants have the window and then the plants and then your curtains because then that's really in the cold (laughs) you're trapping it in the cold and then the other thing that i've got going right now is i have a a vaporizer uh, to put a moisture into the air and i'm keeping it about 50 percent humidity because that's another thing when you have plants they need the um the moisture in the air because it's really too dry for them they did i think at least 30 percent moisture i think they were saying well you know depends it it seems like they need more than 30 percent. i mean that's minimum okay that that is a minimum you don't want to get it so that things are dripping off the wall because then you have mold (laughs) right and um if you have if you're if you I have a little thing so I can measure the amount, and I carry it around from room to room. And where this vaporizer is for about, I have about, oh, maybe 15, 20 plants in one area. And that's where I'm putting this in because those plants are also getting more sunlight, too. So they've got the direct sunlight. And, you know, my skin gets dry in the winter. Oh, it, I yes. look at my hands, my fingernails, everything is, you know, so it's it's too dry. And I've been putting little, uh, shallow kind of bowls or even yes. uh, with little, I've got the little decorative marbles in them, and I put water in there. So it, it has, right. you get the, the moisture from that, and it's amazing how fast that evaporates. You need to add more. With uh, with the orchids that I have, I'm, I'm doing that with them because uh, they have the air roots, and they need to take this moisture. From the air. From the air right and so I have them in a glass case and then I have the containers with the moisture in there and that works I want to go to we have a listener that uh, sent us a question and this is probably one a lot of other people have because this is the time of year a lot of people may have bulbs inside that are blooming you know you go in the store you'll see these beautiful hyacinths or tulips that are in these pots and they've been forced to yes forced to to bloom because they've been you know under cold for so long and and this uh lady had a hyacinth a beautiful flower and it it fell out of the <laughs> it fell out of the uh, pot or something and she was worried she killed it for sure and somebody told her that she should put it in water and add a little sugar, cold water and add a little sugar. And she says it's it's coming back. I don't know if it's so much the cold water and sugar as a fact. Maybe it's back in water. But what are some things people need to do? I think some people get disappointed because they don't last a real long time. Right. You know, um, now you have to be careful. When you say put a bulb in water, you can't actually put a bulb in water. You can put it on rocks with the water below that. But if the bulb is touching the water... It is going It'll to rot. rot. Right. right. I guess she said they said put some fresh cold water and put a little sugar on it. Right. Water so, it. so the roots are coming down underneath the bulb. Yep. Those roots, they can go there. But once you have, it has bloomed. And what happens with hyacinths, and she probably found this out, they get top heavy because they have that big bloom on them. So 
um, you know, once it blooms, it's going to have to uh, get the green foliage then so that it can make enough energy for next year. And it's very, very hard to bring them back into bloom again. Well, and that's what I think kind of was her question about, you know, golly, should I, you know, save this and plant it again? And I said, well, you could, but, you know, it's not likely going to be a really good bloom. No. I have hyacinths planted in the ground, and they usually come back fine. Right. But, but um, you know, one that's been forced inside, it, it's just not going to be able to build it's, up the It's using the energy all its energy. It just, to make a flower. Yeah, it's like um, it's been force-fed to to produce this great big flower and then it has to go into it couldn't continue to to do its thing in water you'd have to get that into soil because now it's got to take up nutrients it's got to do the photosynthesis thing so that it will store up all that energy it's got a very short time because it's going to go dormant again right and and the thing is with with also with bulbs and things once they die off, don't cut off the tops. That they need that green stuff to die they back, do. and do. and you don't you know take any of that off. You let it die back to the ground. So you know if you have some outside too, and they come up, and you think, oh, these are unsightly. I'm going to cut off all the tops. Well, basically you're taking off all its way that's going to store energy for the next coming year, and you won't have any flowers. Right, right. So it, leave so it all there. The leaves again. If you just keep thinking, the leaves are they're the the factory, the food. The sun is producing the energy, and it's taking up the nutrients so that it can produce all these carbs, all this sugar, so that you're going to have this healthy plant. So so we never do that, except, like I say, if you've got something and it looks terrible. Now, my herbs that I've got growing in the house, I've got uh, parsley that's doing really well. I have miniature uh, bell peppers. Have you ever raised those? No, because I don't like peppers. But. Oh, I love, <laughs> and, and these are the red ones. And they're about the size of a strawberry, bright red, Mm -hmm. doing really well. I brought the plant in from my greenhouse last fall. I have harvested uh, twice, and I get as many as 8 to 10 uh, of these miniature bell peppers at a time. Delicious peppers, really nice for, for seasoning things. And my parsley, and I don't know why, it does have a tendency to get taller, and I don't like that outside. So it's, it's leggy, basically. It is, but it is in the full sun, and so I keep cutting it back, and I keep getting new stalks coming up from the bottom, and I really, really like that. I really think that that's a, that's a good deal. So all of these, you know, like basil, you can raise that inside. And for a while, I used to bring a sage plant in to the house every year. It just got so big, it, it I couldn't, I didn't have a big enough space for it. And now also the amaryllis bulbs, you know, those 38 bulbs that I've got. Yes. All of them are shooting up that flower stock. I think I have eight blooms right now are eight stalks coming up with the potential for a bloom so this is exciting when you see it coming through the soil you can tell a leaf is very slender if it would come up first which it's not supposed to usually you get the flower spike it comes right out of the center okay and and it's fat and you think oh my goodness i wonder what color that's going to be you know what's that going to look like and i've got one this is my um container that's uh, a couple gallons in size and it's my first I believe it's a red line I have three bulbs together in this large container and the one bulb has got three spikes I have never seen this 
in all the years I've been raising amaryllis, you can get two spikes out of an amaryllis, but I've never seen three spikes. So three spikes, and each one will get three, four blooms on it. So can you imagine? That'll and be then beautiful. It's, <laughs> and it's in a pot with two other ones, so it'll be this cascading kind of bouquet thing. We want pictures. You want pictures. I, I'll have to do that. All um, right, Barb, thank you so much. We're out of time.